Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, before we look at that together, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our Father, we thank you for this time together to open your word, and we pray that as we do, that you would speak to us by your Spirit, that you would uh, reveal yourself to us. Lord, you know exactly where each one of us in this room is right now. Um, you know uh, what we need to hear, and we thank you that your word is powerful uh, to work by your Spirit. And so we pray that you would, we pray you bless this time now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, maybe some of you have tuned into the Commonwealth Games over the last couple of weeks. For those who are maybe not that familiar with the Commonwealth Games, it's kind of like the Olympics, uh, but without the USA. Um, that's probably the best way to describe it. I guess your equivalent of your American would be the Baseball World Series, which has, I think, Canada, but no other country. Um, and I would like to say, uh, uh, just a shout out to Peter and Kit, who uh, became Scottish baseball champions last week. Uh, so I'm uh, happy to lead the charge to get them included in the World Series next year. Um, but uh, Commonwealth Games have been some incredible performances uh, over the last couple of weeks. My particular favourite has been seeing Ailish McColgan uh, bring the gold home for Scotland in the 10,000 metres. Uh, it's about 30 years since her mum Liz did it. I, I remember cheering on Liz McColgan in 1990, which makes me feel particularly ancient. Uh, as I think about that. But uh, one of the things that really struck me about that achievement uh, this past week was uh, how she had experienced so many injuries and so many setbacks around the time of major events over uh, her career. And yet uh, to see her win that was amazing. The temptation for an athlete to give up uh, when they face setbacks uh, uh, must be overwhelming at times. But what is it that motivates them to endure when there are setbacks, when there are times of struggle. It's surely the, the hope that there is a medal waiting at the finish line. But what about when it comes to the Christian life? What is it that, that motivates us to keep going? These are difficult times. Modern day Scotland is an increasingly secular environment where some of you are no doubt conscious of uh, the growing pressure in the workplace, not just to keep your beliefs to yourselves, but uh, to conform, uh, to affirm secular values that are perhaps at odds with your Christian profession. Uh, we all face the challenges of expressing our faith when public discourse makes it difficult to be anything other than either for or against. Maybe you're very conscious of the struggle to, to keep on going in your faith at a time when the cumulative effects of the last few years, the pandemic, the war in Ukraine, the, the, the cost of living crisis, all weigh heavily. And, and maybe you're seeing people, maybe you've seen people over the last couple of years who, who once professed faith, giving up, uh, falling away, or reshaping their faith in such a way that they are no longer concerned for truth, but more bothered about fitting in with society. Or maybe you're aware of people who are really struggling right now, uh, struggling with their mental health to the point that, that they're barely functioning. 
And maybe if you're honest with yourself, God seems very distant. Uh, you don't feel his presence right now in your life. And maybe in your quieter moments, you're wondering about giving up as well. And if that's you, well, you wouldn't be alone. It's estimated that in the last 30 years, church attendance in Scotland has halved. And it's not just church members. A, a poll released by the, the Barna Group uh, estimated that 38% of pastors in the US had thought about resigning from ministry in the past year. And I'd imagine that on this side of the Atlantic, those stats would be similar. The cumulative effects of the past few years have taken their toll on all of us. So what hope is there at a time when maybe we feel hopeless? When the temptation to, to throw in the towel is all too great? How do we find the resources to keep on going when things are tough, when we feel like giving up? Well, that's what Second Timothy is all about. Over the next few months, we're going to be working our way through this letter written by the early church leader Paul to his beloved child in the faith, Timothy, encouraging him to keep on going. And today we're just going to kick off by learning a bit about the writer and the recipient of this letter. So if you look with me at verse 1, we begin with the writer. We read there, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is a key figure in the New Testament. He wrote over half of it. And 2 Timothy was written towards the end of his ministry as he found himself confined to a Roman prison for his faithfulness to his calling as an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul had been commissioned by Christ to declare the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to the Gentiles. And he had been bound in chains for it. He faced all sorts of abuse, beatings, and loss of freedom for his willingness to continue as a minister of the gospel. But aside from the opposition that he had faced outside the church, he knew what it was to face opposition inside the church. We know from chapter 1, verse 15, that people had turned away from him and rejected his ministry. We learn in chapter 2, verse 17, how false teachers had arisen in the church and they were leading people astray. And he'd even had to endure the heartbreak of seeing once close ministry colleagues abandon him. He'd faced all manner of weighty blows that came from both outside and inside the Christian community. I wonder how you would feel if you found yourself in Paul's shoes. Confused? Depressed, maybe? Fearful? Discouraged? Bitter? Tempted to give up? You know, some have said that 2 Timothy presents a picture of Paul as all of these things. Pessimistic about the future, just languishing in prison, waiting to die. But I don't think that's right. Notice verse 1, Paul recognized that he was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. In spite of all the opposition, all the discouragements, Paul remembered who it was who had called him. He was an apostle, a minister of the gospel by the will of God. 
He was able to look back on his past and remember the way that the risen Lord Jesus had met him on the road to Damascus. There was a time when he had been a feared persecutor of Christians. Someone who had been guilty of great evil towards God's people, hostile to Christ. At the moment of his conversion, he heard the very words of Jesus say to him, Why do you persecute me? And then his life had been transformed as he encountered the risen Jesus on that road. He heard the Lord's call to preach the gospel. He could look back and remember how God had called him. But as he sat there in chains in that Roman prison with no earthly prospect of better days, he could also look forward to the glorious hope that was his because of the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's hope It wasn't in a change in his earthly circumstances that maybe he would be released and be treated with tolerance and and respect and that everyone would be happy to, to sit under his gospel message. No, his hope was in something that transcended his present circumstances. His hope was in the life that is in Christ. That Jesus had risen from the dead. He had ascended to heaven and he had prepared a place for him where one day he would know the boundless joy of the Lord's eternal presence. That's where his hope lay. Paul could look to the future with his eyes fixed on the sure and certain hope that can only be found in the risen Christ. And it was that hope that sustained him in the valley. Maybe right now you are in the valley. For whatever reason, you're discouraged, drained emotionally, weary, fearful perhaps. And maybe you've been feeling like that for a long time. And you just can't see an end in sight. Well, I'm not going to tell you that there's a quick fix or an easy answer. But can I encourage you today to follow Paul's example? To remember the God who called you to be his. To look forward to the hope that there is in the risen Christ. To cling to him today. To cry out to him. To know that he is with you. Whatever valley you may be going through. And one day, you'll come out the other side. And your temporary sorrows will give way to eternal joy. That was Paul's hope. And it's the glorious hope that belongs to anyone who holds fast to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And it's a hope that Paul will return again and again to in this letter. A hope that he urges the recipient of this letter, his beloved child Timothy, to cling to. Now, what do we know about Timothy? Well, when he received this letter, he would have been in Ephesus dealing with issues that had arisen in the church there. Uh, And they're issues that we'll unpack as we go through this letter. Uh, And and Timothy, he's actually an often misunderstood character. If people have misrepresented Paul as a pessimist, uh, well, then the same can be said for Timothy or timid Timothy. 
as he's often, I think, wrongly referred to in this letter. Now, it's easy to see why, uh, how people get there. For one, timid Timothy, it rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? And who doesn't like a good bit of alliteration? Uh, and folks who go down the timid Timothy route, they, they point to the reference to Timothy's tears in verse 4 of chapter 1, which could suggest a young leader who is just finding it all a bit too much. And then there's Paul's reminder in verse 7 of chapter 1 that God didn't give us a spirit of fear. There's also Paul's call in chapter 2, verse 22, to, to flee youthful passions. And so it's easy to see how you get to a picture of a fearful young minister who needs to be encouraged by Paul to fan into flame the gift that God has given him. But in reality, by the time that Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy, Timothy was an experienced minister with a track record who had proved himself again and again. By this point, he'd been on numerous missionary journeys with Paul. It's quite a different situation from Paul's first letter to Timothy, where Timothy was a younger man facing opposition from older men, and, and, and Paul had to exhort him to not let anyone look down on him because of his youth. We read about that in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And the reference to Timothy's tears, well, anyone who understands uh, Christian ministry will appreciate that tears go with the territory. Timothy had endured the pain of watching false teachers refuse to repent. And then he'd had to look on in frustration as he led people away from the Lord. That would have been deeply discouraging. Any Christian leader worth their salt grieves when they see once faithful people turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Tears from a church leader are often a sign of deep love and concern for God's people, not a sign of fear or immaturity. Timothy had served closely together with Paul. He, he's, he's referenced as a co-writer in seven of Paul's New Testament letters. He was highly regarded. He knew what it was to suffer. Like Paul, he had faced imprisonment. At one point, he'd been sent by Paul to the church in Corinth to, to deal with a really tricky situation there. So rather than timid Timothy, other words could be used to describe him. Talented, trained, trusted. There's no doubt that Timothy was a gifted, a seasoned leader. But see, here's the thing. Even gifted, seasoned leaders aren't immune from the temptation to give up. Gifted leaders can become discouraged. Gifted leaders can experience fear and anxiety. Gifted leaders can eventually become weary, worn down by opposition, both from outside and inside the church. Gifted leaders can be tempted to give up. And that's the leader that Paul wrote to in 2 Timothy. A gifted leader who needed to be encouraged to last the course. A leader who needed to be reminded of the life that there is in Christ Jesus and the ministry that he'd been called to. The word fear in verse 7 is sometimes translated timidity. But it's more accurately translated cowardice. 
Chris Green writes, Unfortunately, timid has become almost permanently associated with Timothy because of the handiness of the phrase, timid Timothy, and because it makes Timothy sound gentle, likable, and a bit like we imagine ourselves to be. Cowardice is a much less diplomatic word, but it is the right word, because Paul is not criticizing Timothy's personality, but identifying the danger that Timothy will, at a critical moment, drop out of the responsibilities of Christian leadership because the personal cost will be too high. That makes 2 Timothy relevant to more than the few shrinking violets. No matter how long they have been Christians, and Timothy had been a Christian from infancy, or how well-trained, people can suddenly meet such a spasm of cowardice. Everyone needs the warning and the encouragement. So this letter, it gives an insight into the challenges, the frustrations, the disappointments, and the temptations that Christian leaders face. And it's a great letter to to guide us on how we can pray for them and encourage them to, to last a course and not duck out of the race. But it doesn't just apply to Christian leaders. This letter is addressed to Timothy, but in the, the very last verse, as Paul closes it out, he uses the plural you. It was a letter that was meant to be read, not just by Timothy, but by the whole church. That temptation to, to give up because things have all got a bit too hard. It's not, not just a temptation for church leaders, but for every Christian. If someone as gifted and seasoned and able as Timothy, someone who had been so faithful through past trials, someone who'd been used so powerfully by God, if there was a danger that he might give up, well, then we all need to sit up and take notice of this letter. We all need to heed its warnings. We all need to listen well to what God has to say to us. And we all need the encouragement of Paul to keep going amid suffering. And my prayer is that as we study this letter together over the next few months, we would be encouraged. We would be spurred on to keep going in tough times. And we'd have a deeper understanding of the challenges that church leaders and Christians in general face, and that that would shape our interactions with one another as a church, that we would be a community that builds one another up, that seeks to encourage one another and spur one another on, but also that we would have a renewed desire to stand firm and press on in the light of our eternal hope. Not in our own strength. It's not something that we can work up from within us, from our own resources. But empowered by the grace, mercy, and peace that is ours from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Our eternal hope, it's a hope that is ours. Not because we work it up from within ourselves but because of the one who went before us. It's a hope that is rooted in the example of our Savior Jesus, who Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our Savior has walked the path before us, and he's come out the other side. And that means that we can be sure 
that if we've put our faith in him, then we will too. But he hasn't just walked before us. By his Spirit, our Lord walks with us, empowering us every step of the way. So whatever we face, whatever we have to endure, whatever shame, whatever disgrace, whatever discouragement, whatever persecution, by God's grace and mercy in Christ, Jesus our Lord, we have the glorious hope of eternal life. And friends, that changes everything. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we thank you for the hope that there is in Christ Jesus, the promise of eternal life that we can look forward to. We pray that in the midst of discouragements and days of difficulty, that we would set our eyes on the glorious future that belongs to all who are in Christ. And we pray that that would shape us day to day. Lord, would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us as a church family? Would you build us together? Lord, would we spur one another on as we look forward to that glorious day? We pray that as we come to the table now to take bread and wine, that your spirit would be at work in us, refreshing us and reminding us of the grace that we have in Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the suffering of the cross, that we might know what it is to be forgiven and free. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.